Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be in verse 25. Where the Lord says this, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all the bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's go to prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, a familiar passage for us as we've worked our second week here, that you would just enliven our hearts to understand uh, the difference here as Paul begins with truth and and lying, uh, how, how to impress upon our hearts, Father, the, the depth of the importance of these few words. Just uh, go with us this morning, overcome uh, all of my simple words, Father, this morning, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to the heart, uh, the very heart, the very heart, the depth of the soul and minds of your people that are here this day. Enliven them, grow them, give them hope, encourage them. Strengthen them for the life here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we were at verse 25 this morning, and I uh, had Margie change the sign this week to the new man's action because Paul gets very pointed here. And he asked us, I think, this morning, and the main central question here that I want to answer is what is a lie? What is a lie? And uh, I had some fun asking week, as I often do, and my sister-in-laws were here, so I, you know, if there was anybody, anybody I figured that could tell me and explain to me exactly what a lie was, I figured it was my two sister-in-laws, but it turns out their answer was the same as everybody else's answer, and so it's here that we must be assured of the truth, so that the position uh, of this first of several principles, Paul's laid down six of them here, but just these six aren't all that we're talking about, because it's in this 25th verse that he really turns and he started the first three chapters to talk about doctrine, what God has done, and in the fourth chapter he began to talk about the unity and a call to the church. The, here in the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 25, he gets into the particulars of the actions of the new man. In other words, how we're supposed to act as Christians, and he, he's not just doing a philosophical kind of a, oh, be good. Just go be good. He's telling us what good is, what the results of our actions should be. So he's given us particular principles for us uh, to, to stand on. And that's kind of reminds me of the name of this series and of this work this morning. Uh, the name of this series is Treasures So Rich, because Ephesians is a book rich in the truths about what God has done. But the subtitle is The Power to Change the Man, The Power to Change the Culture. Because as we uh, are changed by what God has done, the doctrine salvation that he's given us, he literally takes out our hearts of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He 
takes out a heart that can't understand its own sin and who God is and gives us a heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not so much necessarily just talking about the human heart that pumps blood throughout you. It's talking about the mind, soul, the essence of who you are. As opposed to God in your birth, he gives you a new heart so that you can understand who he is, how he loves you, what he's done for you, why he died for you, what sin is, how to love other people. They're very, uh, the Christian religion is so practical, is it not? It tells us how to live. It tells us how to love others. It tells us how we were broken and how we can be uh, renewed in Christ and we're being made a new creation. That tells us to go out in the world and live like this. So it's kind of a short review of the book to see that God has done so many things in Christ in the first half of this book, things that totally change us, things that he planned before the foundation of the world and and it seems like the world is so at random sometimes, but it's not at random to God. It's not at random to us as Christians. God has a perfect will, and he's carrying that out in Jesus Christ. You turn back to the first chapter of the book, and let's look at verses 9 and 10. He's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. He has a will, and he has a purpose, and he's going to carry that out. He's God. He's sovereign. He is in control of every small molecule, everything that exists on this planet, and in this universe, and he has a will for all those things, and he's carrying that out. He has a purpose, which he set forth in Jesus Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. That is, God is going to bring everything to completion and renew everything in Christ. That includes all of his creation, and I don't know about you, beloved, but um, you are a part of that creation. He created you, Psalms 139 says, I know you don't believe this sometimes. Listen, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. No childless mistake. It's one of the foundations that we stand on when we go to Planned Parenthood and have to have another. Even if it's a child conceived or pregnant, it's not a mistake. It's been knit together in its mother's womb by Almighty God. God has a plan, He has a purpose. He has that same mistake that you're sitting here for Bible Baptist Church is not a mistake. Nothing in the economy of God is a coincidence or mistake. So last week I noted as we take off into this verse, number 25, uh, and let me read that for you just one more time in the fourth chapter of the 25th verse. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. I don't want to get off this on some other road this morning, but this is the beginning of these first principles that we see in the rest of the book. He's going to tell us how to be good husbands, guys. He's going to tell us how to love our wives, men. He's going to tell how slaves should act to their masters, how we should act to our employers, how children should act to their parents. He's going to tell us all that in the rest of this book. He's going to tell us how Christian churches should be ready for the spiritual war that's all around them. Here's where he begins that. He begins it for a reason, with lying in the truth. There's no mistake here why lying in the truth, and I hopefully today you'll see why this is not a mistake, because lying in the truth is so important in the overall spiritual battle of our lives. Paul has just come through this section where he says, now you've put on the new man, and the new man is to act like this. In other words, you've been saved. You've learned who Christ is. You've given your life over to him and his lordship, and now you should live like this. And
And the first one he says is quit lying. That must be because we're all what? That's right. Uh, John MacArthur said, uh, hell is full of liars and heaven is full of forgiven liars. <laughs> Amen? So is this church, right? Full of forgiven liars. Last week we noted that all the other false religions do not have a true ethical standard. They can't change what is truly broken on the inside of man. All of them place emphasis on the ability of man. That is why there's so many self-help books. If you'll look that up there and just search Amazon for self-help books, you could not read all of them in the rest of the eternity, I don't think. They're all put an emphasis on living your best life now, and that's not a bad thing. It's never going to be a bad thing to live your life the best that you can, but it's not going to fix the ethical problem that man has, and that's sin. Uh, situational ethics. Should I lie or should I tell the truth? Well, for the Christian, there is no equivocation. You should always tell the truth because to lie is sin. So it understands only the Christian religion, and I said earlier it's very practical because only the Christian religion understands that men cannot pull himself up by his own bootstraps. His heart has to be changed. We have a defect, and it's called sin, and it's so fundamentally reshaped who we are that we can't get out of it on our own. We were saved by the blood and the work of Jesus Christ. So this section begins in 425 and runs through the rest of the book and it's very practical about the day-to-day -day living that God calls us to. And he comes to the particulars here in verse 25 and he lays down the short principles of living and they're not at random as I said order because nothing in the Bible nor anything with God from God is ever random according to you. So it is this first principle. It's of the greatest importance to us because it has such an import on the rest of our Christian living. He says, therefore, put away falsehood. And the word falsehood is translated from the Greek uh, by the word pseudo, where we get our word pseudo. It's a, a facade or a falsehood. Put away that and quit lying is what he's saying. In the short, quit lying. It's about lying. And when I asked some people this week, what lying was, and if they knew what lying was, I found that almost always the answer is these simple words. What is lying? Lying is not telling the truth. Okay. <laughs> I go with that. Is that all that it is? Right? Because there's so much more to what lying is. But I think fundamentally that we all would give that answer because that's what it is. It's not telling the truth. Lying is so much more than that. What is the definition of lying, the textbook definition? And of course, you're not telling the truth is a part of it, but from a biblical perspective, here's where it gets us. From a biblical perspective, there is much more to the understanding of what lying is and does. What lying is and does. Do you ever remember learning word, uh, word vocabulary word lying? No. I, I, you know, I think intrinsically, we know what, from the youngest of ages, what lying is because we try to hide our lies. It's a part of the human fabric because of sin. It's a part of our makeup because of what sin has done to us. I don't think we were taught it ever because we understood that it was not telling the truth. It was not doing the right thing. Uh, because we all know what lying is intrinsically. It's like breathing. It's almost voluntary for the sinner to lie. And it's this way because, beloved, it becomes something much greater. It's a battle on the spiritual plane. 
truth and grace. Light and darkness. Lying and truth. The reason it goes so deep and cuts so much is because it's more than just telling a little white lie. There's something spiritual that takes place when you tell it. Lying is much more than not telling the truth because not telling the truth leads to knowing the truth. For you to not tell the truth, you have to know what the truth is not to tell. <laughs> That's why it becomes spiritual. We have to withhold the truth. It becomes a, then a willful intent. You know the truth, and to tell the lie, you have to purposefully and willfully put away the truth and give somebody a falsehood. So we can add another wheel to it here. Not only is it not telling the truth, not only is it because you know the truth not to tell, not only is it you know the truth not to tell and you tell somebody the falsehood on purpose, but there is a willingness to do what? To deceive. Do you see that? It's not just not telling the truth. You're wanting to deceive. It's about deception. Lying is the act of knowing the truth and purposefully withholding the truth. And in knowingly withholding the truth, it becomes a willingness to purposefully deceive another person. To deceive another person. It's worse. Because not only do we not tell the truth, and we not only do we know what truth is, not only do we purposefully withhold the truth and enact to deceive, but we do it for some reason. See that? We always do it for our own glory or for our own perceived good. For some, as I wrote here, some personal gain. And this is why it enters the realm of evil. Because you're going to start to see a parallel lesson here. This enters the realm of evil because what kind of sin is lying? What does that? Who does that? We all do that. As my son said when I asked him what lying was this week, he didn't hesitate. He said it's the devil's work, Dad. It's the devil's work. He hit the nail right on the head. It's the devil's work. Turn with me to John chapter 8 this morning, just momentarily. John chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 44. Jesus nailed the devil early on. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 44. You remember this conversation. He's having this conversation with Scribes and the Pharisees, and they're saying they're children of Abraham, and he's saying, well, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the work of Abraham, but you're not doing the work of Abraham because you are not Abraham's children. You guys are lying. You guys are holding people to a standard that you were not willing to hold yourselves to. You're doing all this because you want to keep your position of power. You are not God's children. You are whose children? Because they were lying. He says in verse 44, um, Go back to verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. What was Jesus' word? It was the truth. Liars can't bear to hear the truth, because the truth does what? It makes them out to be a liar. It proves them wrong. It diminishes their glory. But Jesus goes on to say something much deeper. Verse 44, he says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning 
and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you tell a lie, now who are, who are you glorifying? See why Paul puts this first? Lies are so damning to the church and so damning to your Christian witness. He goes on to say, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. And this is the problem with lying. Lying can get you turned over to a reprobate mind where you can't tell the truth anymore. Where the false becomes your real hope. And you don't want to be there. He is the deceiver from the beginning. Satan is, Revelation 12, 9. And that great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. Deceiver of the whole world. He is the accuser of the brethren. It says in the following verse in Revelation 12:10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So lying is the parallelism with the Satan, who was the father of lies, the deceiver of the whole world and the accuser of all the brethren. And where does this most culminate itself in Scripture? Turn with me to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And let's look at the parallelisms. Genesis chapter 3. You guys know this passage. It's very familiar. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Right? Another way to say that was he's a better liar. He's a deceiver. He's the accuser. That's what he was going to do. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Isn't that amazing? These are all lies. He's lying to her for what reason? Because he knows the truth, number one, right? He can't not, he can't lie. You cannot lie without knowing the truth and knowing that you're not telling the truth. So to lie, he has to purposefully know the truth. And then he has to purposefully misrepresent the truth in order to deceive. So he's trying to deceive Eve, saying that God surely didn't mean what he said. God says that you will die. Surely you will not die. Surely there is something that God is withholding from you so that you will not have everything that you would have if God would not withhold it. Surely, in other words, what he is saying is God's not as good as maybe you think he is if he's trying to withhold this one tree from you. And all of it. All of it from beginning to end was a deception to try to rob God of the glory of being the one who is true and the one we should listen to and bring the glory over to himself. And every lie that we tell, every lie that we tell runs along this parallel. A lie is not telling the truth, right? To tell a lie, we have to know what the truth is. To tell a lie, we have to purposefully purposely defaming the truth, we seek to deceive 
seek to deceive so that they could get some gain. But when you lie, beloved, here's the truth. Here's what I boil this down to. When you lie, you are doing the devil's bidding. That's why Paul puts this first. That's why it's the first in the ethical actions of the new man. Quit lying. Put away falsehood, he says. Because when you lie, you are doing the devil's bidding, because, beloved, because all lying is an offensive sin before God, attacking his very character and his creation or attempting to subvert or pervert his nature. Because God is nothing but truth. The prophet Isaiah says it in verses 20 and 21 of the fifth chapter like this. Woe to who th those who call evil good and good evil. Because that's what a lie is doing. What God has made it good for Adam and Eve in the garden for us was to follow his commands and follow his words. Satan looked at it and said, surely God didn't mean that. So in doing that, he was putting bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He's saying what is bitter is God's truth and not following that command. And what is sweet will be eating from that tree. And what was the result of his putting bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? The whole world fell into sin from one mind. See that? The very nature of Satan and who he is is lying. He is the father of lies, Jesus said. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, but darkness for light and light for darkness. Do you hear our world in there today? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It shows, what it shows is an attempt to show that your own wisdom is above God's wisdom. That this is what is sweet for you. And this is actually bitter. I'm smarter than God because I know. Right? Verse 21 kind of brings that out in Isaiah 5. It, it says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And shrewd in their own sight. That's what a liar is. He becomes wise in his own eyes and shrewd in his own sight. And lying to another, you're actually trying to hold authority over that person's conscience. And only God is the Lord of the conscience. Only God has authority over and can bind the conscience of a human being. And lying is Satan's attempt through you to take that authority. You ever thought you'd hear a sermon like that? It's good time. It's kind of tough. You know, what is a little life like that that you understand? Should we ever tell a little white lie? That may be another sermon. Right? Lying is never an only you process. We become spiritual by the nature of the battle. I don't think we understand that. I think uh, as Christians, we're tempted to lie to get ourselves out of trouble. It's just for us. We want to clear our name or, or uh, to make some excuse to, uh, to account for some shortcoming in ourselves, why we're late. You know, well, the traffic was bad. The guy at McDonald's couldn't get my order right. All those things we use, but they're all lies. We do it all the time, don't we? Look what it's doing. Now Satan uses this. Look how it changes. Why? Because lying is not grounded in us. Truth is not grounded in us, but it is grounded in God. The ground for the uh, Wayne Groom writes these words in his book called Christian Ethics. The ground for these ethical norms against lying, therefore, is found not in any human results, such as the benefit or harm lying might do to someone else, or whether someone might be led to think something false. But in, is it the fact that our lying dishonors God? God seeks creatures who rightly represent his image. Remember what he said in John chapter 4? I'm seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. And oh, by the way, beloved, 
If you're to be saved, you have to come to the truth of your sinfulness. Here's where we tell ourselves the biggest lies. Is it not? Well, I'm not as bad as I claim. I'm not as bad as he, but I'm pretty good. That's what we do. We lie to ourselves. Satan wants us to believe that. Satan wants us to feel good about what we're doing in our perverted speech. But one lie is enough to send to you to hell for an eternity. One lie is enough to break the holiness of God and the law of God. And Satan binds you in that one lie because he wants you dead. Uh, Kevin Litchin in our church plant in Sedalia, Missouri, which is uh, three years old this January, he, he always put it bluntly. Satan wants you dead. Man. That's all he wants. He wants you dead. God wants you alive. God tells the truth. Satan tells lies. Satan wants you dead. And it's there in the gospel that we have to understand that we're wretched sinners. We have to believe that. And it's there that our minds tell us, no, I'm not. I'm not as bad as a lot of people I look out and see. But that, beloved, is not the standard. God's perfect righteousness is the standard. Just our ability to tell one lie should tell you how unholy we are and how in need of Christ we are. That is why Jesus died on the cross, because if, if, if every lie I've ever told and I will ever tell was put on Christ, God perfectly gives me consequences for those lies, each and every one of them. God's not unfair. He gives us our just deserve for every sin we've ever sinned. It's just that we've sinned so many sins that we could spend an eternity in hell and never ever pay for them. So he took every just punishment that I deserve on every lie I've ever told, and he placed it there on his son. And that's why the cross is ghastly. Because of a lie. Because Jesus never lied. Beloved, he lived a perfect life. If there was anybody that ever deserved perfection, it was him because he lived a perfect life. But because he loved you so much, He willingly did that because he loved you so that you could have his righteousness, so that you could be reconciled to God because the scripture plainly tells us that God can't be in the, in the presence of sin. He can't even look upon your soul. But because he punished all of your sins and mine in Christ, we can be reconciled to God. So sin is Satan. Satan blinds you to that truth. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world, and that's who the scripture portrays him as. The prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, the one who has blinded all. In their case, God is the world, this God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He blinds the lost in his lie. And then he tries to continue to deceive you for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's what he was doing in the garden there on that day. He was disguising himself as an angel of light so he could spread his lie and get his glory and get their lives. That's what he's doing in our world today. He tries to destroy you. First Peter 5, 8 says to be sober about this, be watchful, 
your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants you dead. He wants you caught up in your sin. He wants you guilty. And I could give you a list of sins today that prove this true. Just think about abortion. Perhaps some of you here this morning are reeling and dealing with the side effects of the continuing guilt of abortion. The only place to find forgiveness from that lie is in Christ. But it's just the opposite of what the Satan says. He lies and he said, yeah, it's just a clump of cells. You don't want to destroy your life and have this child now. It's just a clump of cells. Have an abortion. Go about your life. Get your college degree. Get all those things done. And then the guilt starts to build because the truth is that God created that life in your womb. It is precious to him. It is an image bearer of him. And you cannot get rid of the guilt because it's murder. The truth is, he says that it's just a clump of cells. But it's murder. God says it's murder. And because you listen to the lie, you may spend part of your life in sad guilt over the abortion not having the forgiveness of Christ, but you can never. Christ can forgive any sin. Oh, and that's another lie that Satan loves to tell. Oh, you're not worthy. You've done something so bad that God can forgive you. You've murdered your baby. No. God never left an exception for that. Some of the most famous men and women in the Bible I could look at many other feminism, androgyny. Our world tries to remove the distinction between male and female, and it's all a lie. A boy can't be a girl, and a girl can't be a boy. No matter how much the world says it's true, it's only Satan working through the lost in the world to prove it true. Here's the dangerous part when the church gets involved and agrees with it. not repeat, support, or look the other way in this battle for truth, or we come and listen. And we are lying, as Paul will say in the later part of this passage, to the Holy Spirit. And you remember where that happened, Ananias and Sapphira? They were supposed to bring the proceeds of the property in Acts chapter 5, right? And they'd all agreed to that. They'd all agreed to what is true, and they brought the proceeds, and they only brought part of the proceeds. And God struck them dead right there. As Christians, we cannot lie or take a position where we let lies about scriptural truth and God's character go unanswered. We can't do that. We must be proactive in this, as a matter of fact. We must offset those lies. We cannot go along with the cultural lies like pronouns. You want me to call you something other than you are? I can't do that. It's telling a lie. And I don't want to be the one who is telling a lie because I become in cahoots with the one who is the father of lies. I can't do that as a Christian. That's why Paul puts this first. We can't become complicit in that greater truth. We have the spirit of God in us as Christians. We have a truth detector dwelling within us, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. Is the spirit of truth. The world can't have him because it doesn't see and it doesn't know him. The world 
us under the spell, the angel, the one who makes himself look like an angel, the great deceiver, Satan. We're the church, beloved. We have a massive responsibility to truth. 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. I hope to come to you soon, Paul writes to Timothy, but I'm writing ahead of my coming to so that you know that if I delay, how you should act in the church of God, which is the church of the living God. It is a pillar and buttress of truth. When the whole world knows nowhere else to go for truth, they can come to the church because the church is the pillar and buttress of what is true. That's why we can't find the Bible. can't be a Christian if you can't find the Bible. We stand in the truth as the house of truth, and we speak the truth as Christians. We put away all falsehood and speak the truth to one another because it is the very heart of who God is. We respond to slander just as Jesus did. He said in John chapter 8, verse 49, just following that passage we read earlier, I do not have a demon. They accused him of having a demon. They accused the one who was telling the truth of having a demon. How does that happen today, right? Does that, you ever hear that happen in, in popular media? Oh, no, you're, you've got a demon if you can't think that a boy can be a girl. You must be a liar. Who are you? You're archaic. You're a fool, right? They want to beat us all around, but we can't be. We can't let that happen. I do not have a demon, Jesus says, but I come to honor my father, and you dishonor me. Because I come to tell the truth, and you want me to tell the lie. Mm -mm. Truth is the heart of the church and the heart of the Christian because truth is the essence of the one who is true. The Bible goes to great length to tell us about God's character being true. And I would like to read all these passages this morning. We, we would be reading the whole Bible if we truly called ourselves. And the ones that connect God's character and his nature as being true and true. But Exodus 20.16 should be one that you recognize. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the ninth commandment, beloved. Psalm 63.11, no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes, God says. Proverbs 12, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but Proverbs 13, the righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame. And disgrace. God cannot lie. Titus 1 says this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness, in all hope of eternal life, which God never lies, promised before ages began. Just one more, Hebrews 6.18 says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast that hope which is set in us. The world needs truth. The world needs us to be true. The world needs us to tell the truth. And it needs us not to deny it. Truth demands that we see that the lives of the world and secularism are corrupt. Listen, you may be worried when you look about and see what's going on. The debauchery in our culture and the, the hill that it seems to be sliding off of, but I'm not. It only it only proves one thing, and that is what Satan is selling is a lie. Everything that Satan is selling in secularism is a lie. It does not cause human flourishing. All of the justice that we seek is not going to be found in the lies that he has fed. All of the justice and all of the hope and all of the encouragement and all of it only comes from what is true. And what is true is that man is a sinner and he needs Jesus Christ.
this is how versatile the gospel is because only the gospel can save a nation who so desperately needs a savior. Now this is just an epic time in my life. I'll say that over and over again. I, I love that God put me on this planet at this time because this world needs to hear truth and we have truth. This world needs saving and we have a saving gospel. This world needs Jesus, and we know who Jesus is, beloved. We know how to give them hope. We know how to speak truth to our neighbor. And the greatest truth you can speak to your neighbor is the truth that will lead them to eternal life. The greatest truth that you can speak to your neighbor. We speak truth one to another, it says. Do we see what Paul is trying to say here? And as I just treat this last little passage, part of the passage very momentarily, is that in he is saying that truth is so necessary within the church. Why is that? Why is truth so necessary within the church? Well, I have this saying. Uh, I will give you the benefit of the doubt when I meet you until you make it absolutely impossible for me to fulfill your benefit of the doubt. And that is that I'm open to anybody who comes my until they make it absolutely impossible for me to keep up with that relationship. And do you know what it is that always breaks that relationship? It leads to distrust. Truth builds relationships. Truth gives encouragement. Truth does not tear down. Truth builds up. And a lie does just the opposite in every circumstance, in every case. Lying destroys friendships. Lying destroys marriages. Lying destroys churches. This is why the Lord said, Therefore, put away all falsehood. Put it away. This is not the action of the new man. The new man is to tell the truth. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members loving thing that we can do than to speak the truth to one another in love. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to speak the truth to a lost and dying world. And we choose to do the opposite of what the gospel has is audacity. We are doing the devil's work. We cannot do it. Let's be truthful with one another as our Lord is truthful with us. Okay? Amen? Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close this morning, I'm so thankful of your grace, so thankful of your goodness, your mercy. Thankful on days like this today, and, and tough, difficult sermons, I believe, that cause us to see uh, what we've uh, oftentimes taken for granted, and that is that, that lies destroy people. Lies are be fully connected to you until truth. Father, go with us. Encourage us in that. Let us strengthen our hearts in the truth. Let us strengthen our church in the truth because it is your very character and nature. And let us, as we go out into this culture, strengthen them in the truth that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And you too can save. Thank you, Father, for such a glorious
truth. We have the written word. We have the living word. He that does truth. We have the living word. It's in his name we speak. Amen. Junior, Jew, and